Praise the Lord. Good morning. Oh, let's hear it a little louder than that. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yeah, wake up. Let's go. We're going to hear the word today. We're going we're gonna to have food and fellowship, and we're just glad everybody's here. Welcome to our visitors, and we just glad to be celebrating the good news that Jesus came from heaven to earth to show us the way from the earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave. Lord, we lift his name on high. Did I miss some lyrics there? Okay. <laughs> well, this is about grace and faith, and today we're going to be talking about faith. And I want to uh, just open with a word of prayer here. Lord, we thank you for the good news that you came and that you're still here by your spirit. And to those who believe, you indwell us and lead us, and you are coming again. So we just praise you for the opportunity to hear your word and to be prepared for that to be prepared for the days ahead. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear, that you would remove the distractions uh, that are in our hearts and our minds, things that would keep us from allowing that seed of your word to enter in and produce fruit. So we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you'd have your way with us today and build us up. And we thank you and praise you. Amen. All right. So we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, we're going to get to that, but I want to be talking about why we're looking at faith today, because we've been talking about what your story is, and your story is a good story. Your story is one that you are in God's hands, and when you submit to him, all things work for good to those who love God. All things don't work for good if people aren't in God's plan, in God's scheme. If you don't love God, you can't apply that promise. But loving God is an act of faith. And we were talking about your story. Sometimes you have to believe when it looks like a different story out there. It looks like a different story in the natural. Your circumstances are telling you a different story. But when you put your faith in God's story, what God has revealed in his word and his love for you revealed in Christ on the cross, dying an undeserved death for us who really deserved it, and then rising again to show that he still has control, he still has the power, he's still going to make things right, and he can still work all things out for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. So faith, as we talk about this, faith is a way of entering in, and faith is crucial at the very beginning. When we talk about Jesus died for you, a lot of people understand that, but they don't understand that it's all by faith. The Christian life is all by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So there it is at the beginning. Salvation is a gift of God. You know, we, we used to go in evangelism explosion. We, we, we'd knock on neighbors' doors and say, If you were to die and go uh, tonight, where would you go? To heaven or hell? I don't know. Well, I haven't done enough good. I haven't been good enough. I haven't done enough works and things like that. And it's not about works. You can't do enough good works for the Lord. You can't do enough to measure up. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You come to the Lord by faith. It's saying yes. It's saying amen. I receive Jesus. Jesus now is my salvation. And that is good news because nobody can measure up. And you look at any other religion in the world and people are trying to do their best for an uncertain destiny 
Well, here you start with a certainty. You have been saved through faith. It's grace. Grace means undeserved, unmerited favor from God. And that is the good news of the gospel. But it doesn't stop there. But wait, there's more, as they say on the as seen on TV ads. But wait, there's more. You get put, once you believe and receive the gift of salvation, you get put on a path, a trajectory, a journey. And it is a journey of blessing and victory. As we learn in uh, 1 John 5, verse 4 to 5, it says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, think about this for a second. This is just a loaded verse here. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Do we have a lot of overcomers in here? Do we, do we see a lot of overcoming in the world? What's, where is this? Why, why do we have churches on every street corner but we see a lot of people not overcoming? It says this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, a lot of people believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but they're not overcoming. Where's all the overcoming? And you know what? You're going to need some overcoming faith in the days ahead. The days ahead, folks, are not pretty. I don't have to say the days ahead. I can say the days. I mean, we are in the time now that you need some overcoming faith. And you don't have to just be a casualty of holding on for dear life until sweet Jesus comes. There is a way to overcome, and the only way to overcome is faith. And so where is all the overcoming in the church these days? Can we really believe this? Do We need to have faith to, over, to believe that we can overcome by faith, right? I, uh, I remember an old vampire movie. I don't watch vampire movies now, praise God. But uh, I remember the old vampire movie, and, uh, of course, the vampire legends, if you hold a cross in front of the vampire, it's going gonna, it's gonna to defeat the vampire, right? And I don't know if they still do, do it that way. But anyway, the, in this particular movie, the guy was confronted by a vampire, so he pulls out this cross, and he holds it up to the vampire. The vampire says, he just, the vampire laughs at him and says, you've you got to have faith for that to work. And it's like, oh, no. And so the guy then... He closes his eyes and he goes, okay, I believe. And he sticks it out further. And then the vampire goes, ah. It doesn't work that way, folks. That's Hollywood. Okay, you know, some people think on their deathbed they're going to rub their little cross necklace and everything will be. That's not how faith works. That's not the overcoming kind of faith. You know, and uh, some people, when they're comforting a friend and their friend is going through all kinds of trials and they'll say, just have faith. Okay, well, faith in what? You know, everybody has an idea out there that faith is some, something that they need, but it's only biblical faith, faith prescribed by God, that's going to get you to overcome. It's only faith that saves. It's only faith that brings grace. But it's not just have faith or closing your eyes and say, okay, I believe. You have to have a biblical ground to stand on. You have to believe the report, as we have seen in the previous weeks, who has believed our report? It's God's report. And so, uh, biblical faith. I said there's not a lot of overcoming in the churches out there. And guess what? There's not a lot of biblical faith in churches. Sad to say. 
What are you talking about, Pastor? And I know it's not this church. We have biblical faith here, right? But the point is that I want to make is that people can believe all the right things and not have faith. You believe in one God. Good, says the book of James. Even the devils believe, and they tremble. So, you know, the devil can have better theology than you or I, and he's not saved, and he's not going to overcome in the end. So what is it? What is the biblical faith we're talking about? You can, you can write all the theology books and the scholars out there, the seminaries out there. Some people like to call the seminaries cemeteries. Why? Because it's just they're just loading up all their head with all this knowledge and stuff like that, but there's not any faith rising up in their soul, not any faith rising up in their hearts. So I'm very glad you mentioned it. So tell us, what is biblical faith? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Biblical faith is defined... In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, this is, a, this is the biblical def definition of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance. Faith is the substance. What do we mean when we talk about giving substance to something? You, have, you ever talk to somebody and you're trying to tell them something that you want them to grab onto, you want them to get a hold of, and they're kind of like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, yeah, 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 don't, I, I got it, I got it, don't, don't worry, nobody else has had that, <laughs> you know, ever talk to somebody, maybe we've done it, right? When you, when you respond like that, or a response like that, that's not really a heartfelt response, that's not really a receiving response, there's no substance to it. Okay, uh, what you want is when you're telling someone something, they're l looking and they're saying, yes, yeah, okay, I got that. I'm glad you told me. All right, good. And so faith in God's word is not just, yeah, 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 I know, Jesus loves me. Yeah, yeah, I know. Everybody's saying that when we were in Sunday school, right? Jesus loves me, this, I, yeah, I, I got it, I got it. But there's no substance to that because substance would affect the heart. Substance would get you producing a response. And so that is what the evidence of things not seen means. When you take seriously, when you take it seriously, when you are heartfelt in receiving the word of God and you take it seriously, it's going to activate evidence in your life, the evidence of things not seen. There's going to be a response. It's the outworking. The evidence of things not seen is the outworking of what you believe. It is a response to things not seen. And what I mean by that, they, there is evidence of things not seen all the time, just in the natural realm, right? How many of you use cell phones? How many know that there's evidence that there are cell phone signals working and operating in the air, or radio signals and things like You can't see it, but there's evidence of it because it's functioning, it's working. You walk into a room and you see spilt milk on the table that's evidence that your kid was there or something, right? You didn't see it happen, but the kid was there. Or you look at the building out there, and there's evidence that there was an architect. There was construction. There was built. You, don't, you didn't see that, but it's evidence of things not seen. It's all around us. And so God, there's evidence of, of things not seen in the world. God is not seen, right? But there's so much evidence in creation, in design, in the conscience, in the changed lives that many have been affected by. 
um, in the changing of whole nations and things. God is revealed, but he's not seen. He's revealed. There's evidence out there, but he's not seen. But there's plenty of evidence. And so faith is our response to what we can't see, and we give the evidence by acting on it, by saying amen and becoming an, an amen. So if I told you that uh, I have a very rich uncle and he just left me beachfront property in Florida and I can't take it, but I want to give it to you. There's a deed waiting at such and such place down there. Go for it. Grab it. It's yours. You can choose to say, oh, okay, good, and never act on it. That's not really faith. You don't have faith that that's yours like I told you. But if you believed you would get up, start investigating, you'd start making arrangements, you'd go to grab your beachfront property in Florida. You would start working and moving in that direction. So the act is the amen. We say amen to something. When we pray, we say amen. That means we're finished. But when you say amen, like when the preacher's preaching, amen, preacher. There's a lot of that going on right now, I can tell. Come on. I know you're saying it in your hearts, right? When you're saying amen, it means, yes, that's true. Yes, so be it is actually the meaning of the word. I received that, and that is, that's mine. So we say amen. Faith is actually, like I like to say, becoming the amen to what God has said. God has said it. God has done it. Now I'm going to become the amen. What does that mean? It means I'm taking it seriously, and I'm standing on it, and I'm going for it. Amen. Amen. Okay, so now when I re respond like that, now it's not God loves you. Oh, yeah, 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 I know that, thanks. Yeah, that makes me feel warm. No, now when it says God loves you, I rejoice. I'm warmed. I'm, I'm built up. I'm strengthened because, you know, I don't receive that kind of love from others in real life. I do. I have, we all have people who love us, but there's no love like God's love. Well, yeah, yeah, but if you really believe that and say amen to that, it puts you on that path, that trajectory I talked about of faith that overcomes the world. When you start to say amen, God loves me and it's greater love than I can ever know. And it's, it's an unconditional love and it's an unending love. It might take a little bit to go from yeah, 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 I know to amen. Let me say that again. It might take a little bit for it to go from yeah, yeah, yeah to amen. What? means we need to quiet ourselves, we need to still ourselves, we need to shut out that which is suggesting otherwise and allowing the word of God, the love of God to impact us so that it changes us and we get the victory. So the response to something unseen, it changes my life. I start to rejoice, I start to get comfort or strength. When I don't feel like rejoicing, I still have that solid ground, that anchor of hope that God loves me. I can be calm in the storm because it's evidence of things it's evidence that i understand i can't see god but i know he never leaves me nor forsakes me evidence of things not seen things hoped for the substance of things hoped for you know when it's a hot day you hope for your air conditioning to work right and you set the thermostat on what you want the air to work on that's the thing hoped for the the substance, the power of it comes when you turn that thermostat and you press on go, cool. Now you know that the thing you hope for, that cooler temperature, is coming. You're not getting all 
upset thinking, oh, when is, when is it going to come? You might be a little uncomfortable. You're hot. You might close the windows. If you had the windows open, you might close the windows because you're giving evidence of things that is not yet there. But the air is coming. Don't worry. We've all ordered something online, right? And once we order it, it's ours. We believe, right? We have faith. We don't get upset because, uh, you know, it's not in our hands just yet. You know, even, even atheists have faith. Everybody operates in faith to a degree. An atheist, you say, how does an atheist have faith? Well, the atheist believes that there is no God. And so they wager their whole life on that faith, that faith that there isn't going to be a God. But it's not, well, you believe this, you believe that, whatever works for you. It can't be that way. A student will have faith that they're putting the correct answer on their exam. But that answer is either right or wrong. And no matter how much faith that student has when he says 2 plus 2 equals 18, no matter how much faith that student has, they're still going to get incorrect. And you don't want to wager your life with the wrong faith. And so... Like I said, there is evidence. There's evidence behind the word of God. There's evidence behind creation. There's evidence to the one who's truly seeking to believe in what's not seen. God is not seen. And when you have faith, it goes from, yeah, yeah, I know, to being affected. And then you believe, you respond, you respond to what the Bible says about what God says about you. You understand that you are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are, you are accepted in the beloved. You have so much to give thanks for and praise for and to feel good about if you would turn your sensors, your, your antennas towards things unseen, spiritual. But we are constantly driven to what we see, feel, hear, taste, or smell. Faith is also responding to what the word says about sin and the world. That's not the good news. But you've got to believe the bad news too. Why? Because sin, as the Bible reveals it, is poisonous. It's destructive. Sin is the root cause of all problems in this world. It's because sin entered this world that we suffer as much as we do. And, of course, we've got a lot to share in the blame, but you can suffer even because of other people's sin. You can suffer simply because the world is broken because of sin. Sin is ugly and poisonous, according to the word of God. But you can't see that because in the natural world, sin often looks pleasant and pleasing and enticing. And so faith will respond to what the word says and say, I'm not going to go with my feeling, my flesh, the natural, which is saying, come on and give in. Because I know from the word of God and from you know, historic evidence of it that it's destructive it's the end i give into this and it could very well ruin my life and does it builds up and and god forgives you and god's going to bless you if you're truly believing in jesus but there you can't be deceived again you got to have that right answer on the exam you know your heart you know where your heart is with trusting in jesus if you're giving evidence of a life of faith trusting him but, and if you are, sin is not going to take you to hell because he's bought, paid for, redeemed you, and you've got a glorious end. But along your path, you're going to miss that 
faith that overcomes the world business. And you're going to suffer. You're going to pay the consequences. You're giving inroads to the devil to wreak havoc in your life. And nobody wants that, right? And that's why we come. We get encouraged when we hear the word. We come to church. We build each other up so that we can walk the, the trajectory that God has for us. It's a better path than the one the world is drawing us towards. And that's how faith works. You respond to what you believe. You believe that there is something better, and you walk in that. The Bible says the world is perishing. The world is going to be changed. And it gives us the response of having a concern for the lost, a concern for others, a wanting to do good in this world, a wanting to make things right as we wait for the Lord to return and set up his kingdom. You say, I can't understand, I can't see that. Well, that's where you need faith. But it's not a blind, dumb faith. It's a faith that's based on evidence in the word of God, in history, and in life in general. You just see that when people walk in God's ways, it goes better for them. You know, we showed the Jesus film once to a friend in China, and uh, it was the first time she got exposed to the teachings of Jesus Christ, and she was just afterwards, the film was over, and she just was, you know, if our leaders would just do everything that he was saying, we wouldn't have any problems in this country. Of course, there's some evidence. It's not saying be blind and just believe this. I was talking to someone else the other day saying, well, how do we know what the other... Other religions believe all this stuff. Again, it's, are you believing the right thing? Are you responding to the right thing? Are you responding based on reasonable evidence? God has given us reasonable evidence. And so we obey the word. Okay, you are saved by faith. It's grace, and you're saved. That's the gift of God. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work to receive the love and blessing of God or to go to heaven. However, God has commands for us. God has ways for us to walk in. Again, it's the path of overcoming. And if you believe, you will give evidence and obey. You're not obeying to earn favor. Okay, That's the good news because we'd be constantly stressed. Am I doing good enough? I, I can't do good enough. I'm not, but that's all taken off of us. You don't earn to obtain favor, or you don't obey to earn favor. You obey because favor has already been given to you. It's the outworking of the favor that's been given to you. But now look at Romans 10, verse 16 and 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They have not obeyed all the gospel. They have, and we talked about this a few weeks back. Who has believed our report? If you want to build up your strength and faith, if you want to uh, become like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the faith realm, you have to believe the report. You have to know the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You say, I'm hearing the word of God today. Okay, once a week is great. It's better than nothing. But every day you could be building yourself up. You need that nourishment of the word of God so that faith is released in your life and becoming stronger to help you move forward and to face the challenges and to overcome the temptations and to be where God wants you to be, to be in his path. 
the overcoming path, right? Faith comes by hearing the word. So when that talks about hearing by the word, it's really talking about you won't be able to grow if you don't know. And you can forget things that you do know. That's why I'm in the word all the time. It's not a religious duty that I got to do this. I'm a Christian and I got to be reading the word every day. No, but I like to eat every day. I like to build up my body with food every day. So I'll eat my breakfast and I'll eat my lunch and I won't forget that. And yet the soul is increasingly more important than the body. I go to the word every day. It's my spiritual nourishment. And it doesn't mean that uh, I'm going to have a bad day if I miss it once or twice here or there, but uh, you can miss a meal in the physical realm and you're going to be okay. But you go for a while and you're not getting that intake, you're going to become weak. And uh, that's the way it is. That's why a lot of people in the church don't have the overcoming faith. They're not feeding themselves and having this relationship with the Word of God. Once you do and you know the Word, you are set on that path, and I call it a path of adventure. Because now, because you're familiar with the word, you can start to know when Lord, the Lord is nudging you in your heart and speaking to you. And I remember when I was starting to understand that the Lord wanted me to go into ministry. I had a good job in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I just had such a, a powerful move in my heart. You've got to get out. You've got to be in ministry. And I remember praying one day on a lunch break in the car and had my Bible open and uh, I said, Lord, what, what's it mean though? If I quit my job and I go into ministry, how am I going to support a family if I ever get married? And I did get married and I have a family now and we're still making it. <laughs> um, but at that time, I didn't have that, but the Lord spoke to me through Psalm 37, 25. And in, in the word of God says in Psalm 37, 25, I've been young and I've been old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging bread. And praise God, my children haven't been begging bread. And I've never felt forsaken. There have been times where I've had to stand on that promise a little bit firmer than I knew I would have to, but we always got through. And because I believed that, even when it seemed tight in certain times, I, uh, I was held to my my spot, and, and I overcame because of the word of God. It's not my faith, but it's faith in the word of God. And to this day, I'm still standing on that, and it's still working, all right? So faith is a life of adventure. It took me to China on that basis. But what my point is, is that the word will give you power, whether it's to go overseas and serve as a missionary, or to live in a difficult atmosphere in Tennessee, or if it's just to become holy in a world that cries against godliness, faith and the word will give you the power to do it. And it's an adventure, and it's more of a, a life than just what's next, what's next, and being tossed to and fro by the waves of the next trend and the popular culture and what's going on and the short-lived joys and things like that. You've got now a trajectory of significance and power and a walk with God, and that's what he wants. He wants a lifestyle of this. He wants to bring power into your life through the lifestyle of walking with him, living by faith. So in Hebrews 11.5, in 11.5 it talks about Enoch, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. 
For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And that's great because Enoch pleased God before the law of God was given. See, a lot of people think, well, in order to please God, I've got to keep all the law, I've got to keep everything. But when you go back to the genealogies in Genesis, I believe it's chapter 5, it talks about Enoch, and it says Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God, and here in Hebrews 11, the commentary on that is that he pleased God. So walking with God is pleasing to God, and Enoch was taken away. The name Enoch, uh, the Hebrew behind that, has the meaning of initiation or dedication. So we can apply this, this example of Enoch to our own lives as Christians if we have been initiated into the mystery of the gospel, if we have become dedicated to the Lord because of what Jesus has done. He made a way for us that we could actually please him, not by keeping everything together and having it right, but by believing, having faith. Here it says, Enoch, please God. The first mention in a genealogy in the Old Testament of someone walking with God, and that was Enoch. And so what does it mean? When you're walking with someone, you're walking and you're moving, right? You're moving to a destination. Where is he going? I don't know where he's going. What are you doing off that thing? Get back up there. You, okay. I'm just trying to see if anybody's still paying attention here. Okay, so... I have a destination. I know where I'm going. When I walk, I'm, I'm not sitting. I'm not being passive. I have a sight. I have an end in mind, whether it's a temporary thing or a long journey, whatever it is. Walking with God is a path, a destination. Again, it's the trajectory of overcoming the world by faith. But it's also walking with God is when you're walking with someone, you're attentive to them. You know that you're with them. You're... you're you're acknowledging them along the way. You don't forget when you are walking with someone, or at least you shouldn't. That's not polite. So you're walking with someone. You're having companionship. So it's a great thing that God desires this of us, the God of heaven and the universe, the great and holy one of Israel, the, the mightiest of all desires relationship with us, would like to walk with us. How can it be? But that's who God is. He loves us like that. He has that for us. And so what do we do? Uh, we, we just get lazy and say, oh, uh, yeah, 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 I know, I know. No, we need to get quiet again, get still again, get it from yeah, yeah, I know to amen and become a living word of amen to the Lord. That's an act of faith. That's a response of faith. And here's the best part here. 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the good news here is that faith pleases God. How do you usually think about what it takes to please God? I mean, the natural way to think about this is that I've got to have my act together, and I've got to go at least three or four days where I haven't, said anything carelessly or thought anything wrong and stuff, and then maybe God is pleased with me. That's how I used to feel. Even though I knew the gospel, I knew that first verse that I showed you today. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. Grace, grace. It's not your works. It's totally a gift. It's grace. And we know that. The church knows that. And yet we still, myself included, have this tendency to think, man, I messed up. God must be really angry. 
or he's just folding his hands thinking, you sorry thing, you know, I'll let you into heaven because I, I sent my son, but man, I don't, what, why do I put up with you? That's not the way God is. And that is what requires faith, to believe that God is not like that, but that God actually has given us the gift of grace, that he actually is pleased with us when we believe. So can I please God? Can you please God? It would seem crazy, but yes, we can actually please God. We can actually please God, and we don't have to uh, become superstars to do it. You don't have to have it all together. In the Old Testament, you read of the high priests. The high priests would go into the Holy of Holies to make atonement sacrifices for Israel, and they would have to wear bells on their garments. Bells, I believe they were shaped like pomegranates. But when they were going into the, behind the veil, into the most holy place, you'd hear the bells, or they'd hear the bells out there because the Israelites had to know that everything was okay because if they were off, if they did not do everything just right, those bells might stop and they'd know that that person's been struck down or something. You read of Aaron's sons when they were offering strange fire to the Lord and they were struck down. You had to have it perfect to be in that place. And there's even a tradition. I've just read one source. The tradition talks about the high priest would have a rope tied around his leg that went outside to the outer court so that if he did get struck down, the Israelites could drag that high priest out. Now, that's a tradition, but certainly the bells are in Exodus chapter, uh, they're in there, Exodus 28, if you want to read about that, 34 and 35. But this is where the gospel comes in. Jesus was the high priest that did it once and for all for us, that we don't have to have it all together, that we can go right into that most holy place with boldness and confidence and no fear of being struck down or not being accepted because we go through faith in Jesus Christ. Not a, yeah, yeah, I know faith, but a, this is what my Lord's done for me and he's made the way for me. I saw a movie once, a guy who was becoming a missionary, he was a Roman Catholic missionary, and he felt like he needed to do penance for all the damage he'd done to a, a village somewhere. So he had to pile up all these baggage on his back, pots and pans and bricks and things, and he put them all in a huge backpack, and he had to climb the mountain near the village so that he could be redeemed from what he had done. And, you know, I don't think any of us have put that kind of backpack on ourselves and tried to climb a mountain that way. But we have done that, perhaps, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, where we have felt we have to pay for our sins. We have to redeem ourselves for the stuff that we've done in the past. We are guilty, and we, need to, we just can't come to God without doing something. But that's not what pleases God. God's not pleased with that. In fact, that's an affront, that's an assault to Jesus Christ, because Jesus says, wait, I did that for you. I, I took the cross for you. I had a friend once said, I, I've sure done a lot. I got a lot to pay back. I said, you can't forget it. In fact, the bill's already been paid. Isn't that great? Imagine going to a restaurant, the bill's already paid, but I got to pay something. And the cashier says, sorry, you know, he took care of it. What can I do? And when we say, yes, Lord, amen, 
and thank you. There's a great faith response in the words thank you. If you can say thank you to God, that's, that's an act, a giving evidence of things not seen. It's a response. And so it pleases God. And at the same time, faith pleases us because it releases us. You are released. Your burdens, they've fallen at the cross. And you can, you can soar now and you can become a God person, one whom God is intimately involved with, loves and is leading and is giving you strength and power and courage for the days ahead. And provision, I might add. I talk about this time's an evil time. There's going to be times where provisions are slight. God knows how to bring that to you. God can bring you the strength and, and get you everything. He can supply all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So it says that he who believes must come to him and believe that he is. He is what? It just says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. He is what? And that he is a reward. So he is, he is, you fill in the blank. This is, this is, this is such good news that God gives us almost a blank check here. I need him to be loving. He's loving. He is loving. He is kind. He is merciful. He is forgiving. I'm sick. He is a healer. I'm in need. He's a provider. I, I, he is present. He is working. It doesn't seem like he's working right now. Where is he in my life? I've prayed and prayed and it hasn't happened. He is. He is not. He was. And it's not just he will be. He, I mean, he was. He was. And he will be. He will be. But he is, and whether it seems like he's working or not, faith will grab it and say, it's mine. Faith will say, amen, he is. And he who comes to God must believe that he is. He is present. He is here. He is now. And he is mine. I am his. And on, on top of all of that, it says he is a punisher, a discipliner. Well, no. He will punish the guilty. He does discipline us, and that's an act of love. But here it says he is a rewarder, a rewarder. So you come to him, and it's not like those I've seen in Asia who come to these temples and these big, humongous idols, and they're bowing and cringing in fear, and they're doing this and doing this and hoping that they can appease this nothing idol. Where we come to God, believe that he is. He, he is living and he is with us, and he is a rewarder. We don't come cringing, trying to appease him. We come in faith, and we know that we please him. And it pleases us. We come to a rewarder. And most people are not being rewarded because most people are not diligently seeking him. Anybody agree? Well, I'm diligently seeking. We all, can, we all can seek him better than we are. But the point is, is that we miss out because of our own selves what we fail to diligently seek after. We're so busy with other things, and we give God a few minutes here and there, and, and we say, okay, God, I gave you my nod to God kind of thing. There's no reward in that. That might appease your conscience a little bit. That might help you a little bit. But you want reward. You want the power of God and the love of God affecting you 
you've got to diligently seek it, and all the more in this day that it's so hard to seek him in. But those who will, will find the truth of his reward. And I can't think of a better illustration of this than a time I was in China and we were going to a project site near Vietnam, on the Vietnam border. And you start getting into these mountainous areas. One thing I'm always amazed about is we were in some of the poorest areas in China and some of the poorest areas were some of the most beautiful areas. I mean these beautiful majestic mountains and greenery and, and lakes and rocks and things like that and, and just beautiful stuff. And there's a paradox there because it's so, so uh, wonderful and glorious, and yet some of those places were the most poor places in China, the poorest villages and things like that. And I just think about when the Lord returns and he restores this earth into its purposed glory, that there's going to be no paradox anymore. It's just going to be unbridled, beautiful, glorious, wonderful and it's, it's just breathtaking to think about. But we were going to this place near the Vietnam border, and it was starting to get late, and I was getting nervous, like, are we going to get there before it gets dark? Because these roads are kind of dangerous, and we don't want to be on the roads in the dark. And uh, we started going. It wasn't dark yet. We, we were curving around these mountains, and suddenly we were passing by this most beautiful scenery, all this lush greenery, and there were these huge boulders in this creek, I guess, and this pure crystal-like water cascading over these boulders, and, and it was just, everybody in the car was like, ah, oh, it was wonderful, and then uh, one of the Chinese brothers said, stop the van, it was a van, stop the van, and I said, well, what, you know, we got to get, come on, you know, it's going to get dark, soon. stop the van, we got to get out and look at, it. it's like, okay, let's go out and look at this, and so we get out, and it's kind of hot, it's kind of humid, it's like, okay, let's go. We got to get back before it gets dark. And he says, no, 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 there's a path. You guys got to come up this path and follow me. And, you know, back at that time, I didn't have much patience. I had little patience. I was like a pediatrician. That'll hit you later if it didn't get you right now. I had little patience. I was like a pediatrician. And today I'm doing better, but I could still probably meet that. But anyway... Uh, he said, come on, follow us through. And so we started walking through this path. It's hot, it's humid, and trying to, you know, smacking little bug things and stuff like that. And we're walking. It took about a 15-minute hike a little bit into the, the brush and the foliage and everything. And then we got past these certain bushes, and we discovered it was like the curtains were open and we saw the most beautiful waterfall, the biggest waterfall I think I'd ever seen. And it was just extraordinary. It was like the mist from the waterfall was cooling and refreshing us, and we were just praising the God, saying, this is wonderful, wow, wow, wow. It was just awesome. We use that word lightly a lot, awesome, but this really was awesome. And it was refreshing, all that hot and humid, it was all cooled off, and, and just we felt reinvigorated. And we went rejoicing back down that path, and we got to our project site. And I thought about it later and just thought, you know what? There is power and refreshment when we diligently push in to seek God, to seek his face, to spend time in his presence. But it's not easy. It's not easy because it seems like there's a hike, and, and you're not comfortable. You're there's things to do, and there's other easier things like entertainment and things like that, but who wants to go hiking in the heat and humidity with bugs and stuff and, and brush to get through? 
And yet, once you make it through and you're in his presence, it's reinvigorating. It's power. It's refreshment. And it's, it's the reward for diligently seeking. What is the reward? It's not what he gives you. It's him. It's him. He is the reward. But he doesn't just give himself to everybody lightly. You have to seek him like seeking for gold. And most of the church enjoys the beautiful scenery. If you have any relationship with Christ, you probably enjoy passing that beautiful scenery, and you get something out of it. And we can all benefit from it, and it's breathtaking in itself. But if you want to go further and get the reward of the Lord, you have to be diligent. You have to seek him, and that's when everything changes. Your life becomes an adventure. Your life becomes in his hands. He starts making the way before you, and he does everything. It's all him now, and it just becomes a great thing to look at. Even as we go through these dark times, we know that we're in his hands, we're on his path, and we have a happy ending. We have a good story, and we can make it. And we can be ministers to others who need that kind of hope and inspiration and help. But get it ourselves first. Understand that we can please him, and he's pleased when we press in. And the rest is his story. And when it becomes our story, the rest is history. I like to say that. But it's true. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you... Offer yourself to us, and I pray for each person here, whatever we were when we came in, I pray we'd be closer to you now and that we'd be on that path. Give us the unction, Lord. Give each person in this place the unction, the unction to, to press into the things of God and encouragements along the way, Lord, and revelation an understanding of your word and help from each other to support each other and encourage each other. And uh, your blessings. We just pray blessings now, and we thank you, Lord, for your word. May it produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.